Well, as our kids and the workers head on their way this morning, I'll just take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Josh. I serve as one of the elders here at Maple Ave. And it's good to be sharing with you this morning from God's Word. Uh, I was looking back at my calendar and I realized the last time I did this, I think it was in April of last year. Uh, my, my primary role over this last year has been uh, in an itinerant capacity. So I, I tend to help out other churches that, that need a hole filled. They need someone to, someone to preach. And so I say, hey, I'll, I'll go and do that. So, uh, but it's good to be here with you this morning. I was, as I was thinking about preparing for this as well, I was also thinking that um, we've been blessed in the last number of weeks as we've had uh, pastors from other churches come and fill in, men who love God's Word and love the church, and they have preached faithfully. Uh, but as I was reflecting on that and an opportunity to preach here to you this morning, uh, I was thinking about Terry and Utah and Scott, uh, men from among us who love God's Word and uniquely love this church. And so when you serve a church, it's a unique uh, opportunity and it's a privilege to be able to share from God's Word with them. And so know that I, I hold that high this morning. Um, if I would ask that you open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Don't worry, we're not going through the whole thing. Psalm 119. We're going to be looking at verses 145 to 152. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 515. 515. Psalm 119, 145 to 152. And with that, would you stand with me as I read God's word this morning? Psalm 119, verse 145 to 152. With my whole heart I cry, Answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as I pray. Father in heaven, by your spirit, would you use your word today to embolden us in the face of evil? Would you, by your spirit, open our minds to consider all that you are capable of in and through us? And would you transform our hearts to look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we long for the return of our risen King? Do these things, O God, we ask of you for our good and for your glory. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do you know the words to this song? Raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen, brown paper packages tied up with string. These are a few of my... You know it. Remember this from The Sound of Music? There's thunder and there's lightning. 
and the children are all afraid, and they come running into Maria's room. They're looking for comfort, and she teaches them a song to sing. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. When we stand back and we look at what the children were afraid of, something much bigger than themselves, it seems like an odd way to offer comfort. And maybe it would be if it was a simple nursery rhyme with no real reason, no bigger purpose. But the song that Maria teaches the children isn't Jack Be Nimble or Row, Row, Row Your Boat. It's a song that instead speaks of the things that they will encounter that could bring them harm, that rightly makes them feel afraid, and that it aims to reorient their heart so that the things that they know are bad or harmful could be supplanted by the things that they know are better. In the Psalms, God is teaching us songs that will retune our hearts to keep us close to Him. He's giving us words throughout the Psalms that address the full range of human experience, uh, from elation to depression, from the singing of God's people pouring out praise to the angst we all know we feel from living in a fallen world. It's likely the case that all of us here this morning have been afraid at one time or another. It's very likely the case that we've all faced things that have been bigger than us, much bigger than us, that have threatened the peaceful existence we'd hoped that we would have had as people who have died to ourselves and who have placed our faith in Christ. That very well could be the case for you here this morning. It could be the case that you find yourself in a situation where because you are a Christian, because you strive to live in light of God's word, someone is devising a plan to take you down vocationally so that they can take your position. Uh, maybe emotionally so that they can uh, have the attention you're getting. Uh, relationally so that they can feel superior. Spiritually so that they can declare you wanting and themselves righteous or even physically, because their wickedness has literally given birth to death. For David, in writing this psalm, he was no stranger to those who wanted to kill him, those who wanted him literally dead. Whether it was the sword of the Philistine giant Goliath, it's the spear of Saul, or even his own son who wanted to take him out and take his kingdom, David was familiar with evil men, who literally wanted to draw near and kill him. Now, while this is true for David, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably not the case for any of us. I don't know anyone who's fought a 10-foot giant. Uh, I don't think any of you have had a king throw a spear at you, and I'm guessing nobody here has had a son raise an army to overthrow your kingdom, right? My guess is I'm safe on that limb. Okay. So if that's the case, what does it mean for you and I to be persecuted by those with evil purpose. For David, he had been anointed by God's prophet to be Israel's king. God had explicitly expressed his will, and David's kingship was working out that will in practice. Those who were pursuing David did not want to follow God's express will, but instead established for themselves a kingdom of their own where they ruled. And God's ways were explicitly rejected. David's pursuers 
rejected God's plan and authority because they thought their ways were better. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Are any of you seeing that in the world that we live in, this is the case? You and I, we aren't kings, but Scripture tells us that we are a part of a royal priesthood. And as part of this priesthood, there are things we are to believe. There are things that we are to be about. There are things that we are to do. And it is also true that as you and I look around, we can see that many people reject these things. And in so doing, you and I become the targets of their rejection of God. Yes, there are countries, sadly, where persecution is much greater, but we are not immune from it here in Canada. Knowing nothing about our friends or our families or about us, we are called hateful and homophobic when we promote God's design for men and women in sexuality in marriage. We're called anti-women and barred from certain political parties when we argue for the rights of the unborn. Men are called misogynistic and women are called promoters of patriarchy when we talk about any aspect of biblical headship. We get passed over for promotions because we won't go along with internal office scams. We're called anti-science because we believe in the God of the scriptures and that he created all things. We're called anti-intellectual and accused of brainwashing our children because we believe in and are teaching them about the very existence of God. Have you ever felt attacked? Have you ever felt pursued and in so being silenced by your fear of the consequences because of such things. I have. If you're a Christian here today, if you're one who has confessed Christ, that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and placed your faith in Jesus, what should you do when evil draws near? In the psalm we have before us today in verses 145 to 152, our good God gives you and I a song that we can sing, that we can call to mind, that's intended to, to retune our hearts when the weight of wickedness in this broken world is bearing down on us, when evil draws near. As I mentioned, for the, for the children who ran to Maria, it was thunder and lightning that scared them. But for David, the, the author of this psalm, it's not a storm. It's not a storm that scares small children. No, look to verse 150 with me. It says, it's those with evil purpose, and they draw near to persecute him because they are far from God's law. The people after David who are far from God's law, that's who these people are. In today's language, these people are the sort who say God's ways are outdated. They're hateful and they're dangerous for society. And it's not just people out there, of course, people that are disconnected from us who say these things. In many cases, it's the people that we know who are our coworkers. They are our acquaintances on social media. They are our teachers, our students in our classes, our neighborhood friends, even members of our own family. They say our ways are much better than God's ways because lying keeps our bellies full and licentiousness gives us license to fulfill all of our fantasies. And that's why the wicked in this psalm devise schemes against David. 
They are near to him and they plot against him because David is a man who loves God's law. If we were to do an overview of the 73 Psalms that that David penned, we would see throughout a common theme that he loves God's law, that it is good and beautiful and provides freedom. Though he is a, a flawed man, he knows this in light of God's perfect law. And so he declares throughout his writing that it is good and that it is perfect and it is beautiful. But the wicked do not want to hear that, no. Because they hunger and thirst for something other than righteousness. They want to silence that. And so the evil have drawn near. This drawing near isn't a storm. It's not thunder or lightning. This drawing near is when you and I are under attack for wanting to follow God's ways. It's when we're under attack, whether it's at work, at school, or on social media, for being a Christian. So what should you do when evil draws near? The first thing is this. Call out to God. When evil is at hand, you are no match for it on your own. And so you are literally to cry out to the only one who can save you. The first thing that you and I should do when evil draws near is we should call out to God. And this calling out isn't a flippant maybe hope for a fixed kind of thing. Like you might call a friend when you have a leaky pipe. Ah, if Mike can't fix this one for me, I can call somebody else. No, no. Not at all. This calling out stems from a heart's cry that knows that this is your only hope. This isn't a half-hearted cry. This is a gut-wrenching plea. Like a parent might plead with God for the life of their child when it's fleeting. Like Jonah having been flung into the heart of the seas where the billows and the waves pass over him. If God does not save me, I have no hope. In fact, we, we see that calling out to God And that this is our directive, starting in verse 45. Look there with me. In verse 145, it says, With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. Verse 146, I call to you, save me. Verse 147, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. This is a heart's cry that stems from a knowledge that God is the only one who can deliver you from evil that is plotting to take you down. Notice a few other things from our passage. In verse 146, there is no ambiguity in what is being requested, none at all. The imperative is used, save me. And that carries with it not just that the life of David is in peril, but from a human perspective, God's mercy and honor could be called into question should he not act. In fact, this very reality is inferred a a few verses down. Look with me to verse 149. It says, Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. A plea for, for God's mercy and an appeal to his justice is what rightly comes from the mouth of a man who knows that whatever evil is at hand, it would have him should he not act. And so David declares that God is one whose love is steadfast. You don't need to turn there, but in Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And we hear that truth, that reality, echoed in David's psalm here. 
And again, notice there's no ambiguity in the language. There is no roundabout suggestion how possibly maybe God could act, but only a clear call for God to save because of his steadfast love and because he is just. And this clear call is also a consistent call. In verse 47, 147, we see an unceasing effort to call upon God's good and holy name. This is an all-consuming effort. It occupies his heart so much that he is unable to get rest from it. I'm not sure if you've ever had something that has weighed so heavily upon you that you haven't been able to sleep. It's, it's the last thing you think about before you kind of nod off, and it's the first thing seemingly you seem to think of before you're even awake. It's gut-wrenching. It's a, it's a terrible thing. Maybe it's been a wayward child, a broken relationship with a spouse, a financial pit so deep all you can see is foreclosure looming overhead, maybe a fragile employment situation, a loss of someone you've loved, a diagnosis with grave outcomes. Your mind isn't given any rest, and you know no comfort. It's a terrible thing. And this is the kind of weight this psalm is conveying. Look back to the first part of verse 148. It says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. It's the kind of weight that you and I can't carry on our own. It's the kind of weight that you and I can't carry, and it's the problems we can't fix. It's the kind of perilous situation that causes us to really rely on the promises of God and call out with our whole heart, save me, save me, God, save me. There was an English missionary whose name was Helen Rosevier. At the age of 20, Helen became a Christian, and soon after, God implanted within her heart a heart for missions. After completing her, her medical training, Dr. Rosevier joined a mission that saw her sent to Zaire, uh, today known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo. After spending several years in the country, uh, Helen had established uh, a leprosy center, uh, several maternity wards, and was operating 48 rural medical clinics. These were both practical helps to the people and outposts out of service for her God. When the Congo became independent of Belgium in 1960, civil war broke out. And as is often the case, many atrocities happen in those kinds of conflict. There were several times throughout that conflict uh, that different groups particularly focused Christian missionaries. They focused on them. They found them and they rounded them up because they didn't want them or their God anywhere near their people. They were being wrapped up and brought together for the good that they knew they ought to do, the things of God. During her life, Helen shared and spoke openly about one night of her captivity when the evil wasn't just near, but it was upon her. Listen to how she writes about it. She writes of what the soldiers did. They found me and dragged me to my feet 
They struck me over the head and shoulders. They flung me on the ground. They kicked me, dragged me to my feet to only strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouth full of sticky blood, my glasses gone. Beyond sense, numb with horror and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed back to my own house, yelled at, insulted, and cursed. On October 29th, 1964, the evil was near. And Helen Rosevier was brutally raped. Physically incapacitated for weeks, the evil still near. Helen cried out to God, just like our psalm says, Answer me, O Lord. Save me. Helen knew her hope was going to be found in nothing other than the source which first saved her. What should you do when evil draws near? The first thing is this. You call out to God. But there's a second thing you should do when evil draws near. Keep God's decrees. The first thing you should do is call out to God, and secondly, you should keep his decrees. When evil draws near, when it has broken down the door with, its, with our demise in its eyes, you and I are called to be obedient. When the evil draws near and says, go this way or else, with our eternal hope in mind, we are to face the or else. What should you do when evil draws near, as hard as it might be, as tempting as it might be to bail on that which we know to be right, we are called to affirm only these things which God himself has called us to affirm. We are called to keep his decrees. Interestingly enough, the obedience we're called to, it isn't sequestered off, it isn't separated out from our calling out, it's just the opposite. In fact, the obedience we are called to, it precedes, it accompanies, and it carries on long after you cry out to God. Look back to verse 145 with me. It says, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. In other words, I do the things you have called me to do. That I will do. Save me from this onslaught so that I might be obedient and display your glory. My hope is in nothing else but that your ways are good and that those are bound up in your good words. And this is the two-sided witness that we have to a watching world concerning our God. That on the one side, in the face of adversity, we do not waver because our hope is in his word. And his word we will keep. And on the other side, should he choose to sustain us and have us live amidst the peril, we will keep his commands all the more. 
And in this, with great focus, we see the true purpose of our salvation. Is it for our good? Yes. But all the more, it is for God's glory, that His Word might be kept forever. You may be here this morning, and even in this past week, the evil has drawn near to you, and you are trying your best to fend it off. Scripture tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee. But do you know how you do that? This is how. You cry out to God and you obey his commands. You don't give in to wickedness, you obey God. You see, obeying God isn't merely the absence of doing that which God has directed you not to. Obedience isn't, isn't confined to an act of knots. Not gossiping, not stealing, not lying, not committing adultery. No. Obedience is a call toward the good you know you ought to do and then doing those things. You see, obedience isn't just the absence of that which is bad, but the call to pursue that which is good and holy and true. Those things that reflect our good and heavenly, our good heavenly Father, who is good, who is holy, and who is true. So instead of not gossiping, it's using our words to build others up in the Lord. Instead of not stealing, it's working as unto the Lord in all things, so that all we might obtain might be for His glory. Instead of not lying, it's actively speaking the truth in love. Instead of not committing adultery, it's pursuing a love for our spouse that reflects Christ's sacrificial love for the church. Less than two years after the wicked assault on Helen, she returned to the land where she had given so much and so much had been stolen from her. Helen wrote of her return in this way. I knew that Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus was true on all levels, not just on the hyper-spiritual shelf where I tried to relegate it. He was actually offering me the invaluable privilege of sharing in some little way in the fellowship of his sufferings. Helen returned to do the good she knew she ought to do, and she did it. In a land where evil still lurked, she remained obedient. She did not renounce her faith. She did not blame her God for the wickedness of others. She called out to God, she put her hope in his words, and she kept his statutes. Helen's is an extreme example that I pray you never have to experience. So what could it mean then to be obedient even when evil draws near to you? It could mean refusing to lie when everyone else needs you to in order for them to get ahead. It could mean helping the weak, the marginalized, or speaking up for the voiceless when the majority refuse to acknowledge that they are even a person. It could mean lovingly articulating your refusal to place a rainbow flag on your desk at work or a pride sticker on your locker at school despite the social stigma you will endure. It could mean as you work in areas where only spiritual darkness is refusing to give in and worship the God of this age because doing so would make your life easier. 
What should you do when evil draws near? The first thing is call out to God, and secondly, keep his decrees. But there's a third thing. There's a third thing that our psalm gives us today, and in this is our hope. The third thing that you and I should do when evil draws near is know that God will draw near as well. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When the pressures of this world are bearing down on your very existence, you need to know that you will not be left alone. When wicked people plot against you because you are a Christian, know that God will show up and he will sustain you for his eternal glory. Jesus went on to say that when you are persecuted because you are a Christian, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And while this reward is is a future hope, the presence of God is our present reality. At the end of Matthew, Jesus gives his disciples uh, the Great Commission, which contains within it all forms of hardship. He gives them this word in that. He says that, I will be with you always. As they face beatings, as they face imprisonment, as they face trials and temptation, as they face all that evil has to throw at them, they will not be alone because God will draw near. The third thing that you and I should do when evil draws near is to know that God will draw near as well. I know this because God tells us that he will. Our human author David, his confidence is that when he calls out to God, When he calls out to God, God will show up. When evil is on his doorstep, he knows that he is not alone. The God who knows him has not and will not abandon him. Look what it says in verse 150. It says, They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Do you see what all this says? David declares that when evil people who are far from God's law draw near to persecute him, God is near as well. That unlike the words of wicked men that will perish with them, God's commands are true, and because they belong to him, his word will last forever. Does this mean that you and I will not feel the force of persecution from those who are evil? No. Does this mean you won't become a social pariah when you refuse to participate in X, Y, or Z? No. Does this mean you won't have others plot plot against you to get ahead in work because you won't go along with their lie? No. Does it mean you won't risk much to go into places where the gospel is not? No, but it does mean that as you do, you will not stand alone, nor will you be going along. For when you call out, God will be near. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that we have a great high priest. God the Son, Jesus, who sympathizes with us in our weakness. For it says, he was tempted in all the ways that we are. Now, please hear me when I say that Jesus is more than, is, isn't less, sorry, than our, our perfect example for living. 
He certainly is more. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer, and He is our Advocate. But He is not less than our perfect example either. In our psalm today, David writes of evil men drawing near to persecute him. Do you think that Jesus knew anything about persecution? Can we pause for a moment and think what that might have been like for him throughout his life on earth? He knew about evil men pursuing him, wanting nothing more than his death. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus called out, to his heavenly Father. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Knowing his need, Jesus, the Son of God, called out to God the Father, then maintained his obedience, following the Father's good word to him that he should have to suffer and die. Do you know what happened when he prayed? In Luke 22, we're told that God the Father sent an angel to minister to Jesus and strengthen him. As Christ called out to the Father and stated his committed obedience, not my will but yours be done, God the Father provided for his needs and drew near. Listen, I'm I'm assuming that in a group this size that there are people here who are hearing talk about calling out to God and trusting in His Word and keeping His commands, thinking that He will draw near, and it's not registering. It doesn't register because you have never called out to God to begin with. His commandments are not your heart's desire because you are still sitting on the throne of your own heart. The same King David who penned the psalm we've looked at today wrote others that spoke of another, a greater king who was still to come for him. And that king would come in all righteousness, whose throne would not be in a palace, but would be in the heavens and would be made in our hearts. This king would come to save us from our own wickedness. And he was pursued because others wanted him dead. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died the death that you and I rightly should have died. It's the death that you and I deserved. But it's not ours because he did it. It becomes ours when we believe and we confess. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, God's word tells us that we will be saved. You will be saved. And then you can call out to God, knowing he will hear your voice and he will draw near. Helen spoke openly of her experience in the Congo. And she said this of God's nearness when the evil drew near. Through the brutal, heartbreaking experience of rape, God met with me with outstretched arms of love. It was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew that his love was unutterably sufficient. 
the evil, hate-filled words and actions of those who sought to persecute Helen because of her gospel work reeked only of wickedness and death. But Helen knew the verse, the truth of verse 152, that the testimonies of God are forever. In fact, the, the truth of this verse first began to germinate when she was saved at 20 years old. When the Holy Spirit took up residency in Helen, the Spirit of God had begun to work into her a song that would retune her heart in such a way that she had confidence that God's commandments were true and that His words, not the evil that violated her nor the pain that resulted, God's words were forever. Edward Motes penned a song, a psalm, if you will, in 1834. If you've been around church for any length of time, it'll likely be a familiar one to you. Remember in the Psalms, God gives us songs to sing that will retune our hearts. And when we, we sing as Christians, that's really an extension of what we're doing. We're taking God's word and then worship and praise results. The, the song that comes to mind for me, that came to mind for me as I was preparing was, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Uh, I'm going to read its verses. They're poetic in nature. And, and listen how our psalm today infuses meaning into this well-known song of praise. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may thy then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Evil takes many forms in this world, and it comes from many different places. So what should we do when evil draws near? Well, God gave David, a man who was familiar with the plots of wicked men, these three directives to call out to him, to keep his decrees, and to know that he will draw near. Christian, hear this. Life isn't a movie. The things that assault you and I aren't thunder and lightning. They are the evil plans of wicked men who hate God's holy ways and then plot against those who long to follow them. When that happens, and if you're a Christian who is willing to stand with Christ, it will. A cute song about raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens isn't what you need. You need the words that God gives his people in Psalm 119, words that will retune your heart and afford you the confidence to call out to him to follow his decrees and know that he is a God who draws near when evil is at hand. May our good God grant each of us this confidence for our good and for his glory. Would you join me as I pray? Father in heaven, 
thank you that we can call out to you. You are not a God made of wood or stone who is deaf and unable to hear our cries, but instead you are the God of all creation, and in Christ you give us license to approach you when evil draws near. God, by your Spirit, embolden us to walk in the light, to keep your good word, and to give us confidence that as we face a world that is hostile to your ways, you will draw near to us as we do. We ask these things in the standing of Christ our Lord.